Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in again on this Thursday for Social Justice, a conversation with Lana Weatherald, me, and Professor Charles Stanton out of the Boyd School of Law. Today, I'm going to have Professor Stanton lead off. It's usually me running my mouth, right? So we're going to have Professor Stanton start off with a conversation about what's going on, obviously, with Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul Pelosi. So I'm going to go ahead and let Professor take it away. Okay. Thank you, Lana. Yes, uh, what a tragedy, you know, what a tragedy that uh, uh, the Speaker of the House uh, had her husband so brutally attacked. Uh, uh, and an equivalent or even greater tragedy is the lack of uh, any kind of uh, acknowledgement by the Republican Party uh, as to how uh, this hatred was stirred up among not just this one man, uh, but among so many of their followers. Uh, it's very interesting in watching the talk shows over the weekend how there was basically an equivalence uh, that the Republicans tried to create between what the Democrats were saying and what, what they were saying and that both sides were to blame. Uh, I think we can uh, make a reference to Charlottesville uh, when the ex-president basically said there were uh, good people on both sides uh, but uh, as in that case where people were carrying torches saying the, the Jews will not replace us, uh, there really isn't any equivalence. Uh, something like this was uh, morally wrong and reprehensible, and uh, I think that the Republican Party is, has gone more and more away from any kind of uh, mainstream thinking. Uh, I think they believe that their future is in basically... Uh, trying to inspire people, not even so much to violence, but in believing in uh, conspiracy theories uh, that are not linked to any form of reality, and that uh, this is the way it's going to be. And when uh, when uh, uh, crimes like this happen, uh, they move to distance themselves very very quickly. Uh, but uh, it is a it is a frightening thing because you have basically. Uh, more than half of the people who are running for elected office, either federally or in the states, uh, who don't even acknowledge that the last election was proper. So uh, it opens up the thought, uh, we're going to be having an election uh, uh, next Tuesday, and uh, I uh, unhappily am prophesying a very rocky road leading up to the start of the new year, uh, I think a lot of the, uh, these elections in which uh, the Republicans do not win are going to be contested. These things are going to go into the courts. And it's going to be the basically what happened uh, with the uh, presidential election uh, in 2020 magnified like 100 times. And uh, I think also that I think it's, an anti, it's a move against democracy. Because if basically what you're saying is that the elections are not valid, they cannot be verified, uh, that they are uh, uh, created in such a way that the votes cannot be validated, that democracy, which is based on voting, is out, then what is the alternative? What is the alternative to democracy? Well, the alternative to democracy, unfortunately, uh, is dictatorship, where basically uh, 
we who believe we are being uh, uh, thwarted in our aims, uh, you know, use force to to gain our ends, as they tried to do on January sixth, and uh, you see the same uh, you see the same remnants of that today. I think it's important that we understand that this isn't just fear mongering, right? That we're not just trying to say this to strike fear in the hearts of people about the future of democracy. These candidates are really expressing the view that if they are to be elected, they will never, uh, Republic. I have seen, um, I believe an elected official, well, not elected yet, but hey, we'll see, coming out of Wisconsin who said the Republicans will never lose another election. If I if I take office, you know, they're saying these things. They are coming right out and telling you what the plan is. Um, This is not something that I think is imaginative or something that I think is, you know, like I say, fear mongering. We're looking into. No, no, no. This is really happening. I mean, these there are people on the ground espousing views this dangerous that do threaten democracy and that do sound authoritarian and they uh, potentially will take office in a few short days. Yeah. Well, or be elected to take office in a few short yeah. days. It's 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 also it's also quite fascinating as to how this this conspiracy theory, QAnon, hoax of an election has taken hold when and I've said this before and I'll say it again, not one either federal court or state court found in our country has found any evidence of this. And it just shows you how people's allegiance to some forms of social media uh, really can be so destructive and so hard to really fight because once the people are inculcated in these in these these beliefs and uh, they're uh, supported by uh, you know Fox or whatever you know television network that's similar to Fox that they watch you know it's it's very hard to make them change so, you know, we talked about, we've talked about this before, before, Professor, but I think it starts to get when we blame social media or we start talking about, you know, these people are, are hive minded, um, that, that that gets dangerous. Right. And I think that we need to have a little bit more of a nuanced conversation about what these people believe, because you are 100 percent right. This QAnon, this, you know, cabal of evil Jewish people, these overtakers of the election. Right. It is all absurd. It is all sort of crazy to think about. But these are people that do hold jobs that keep families that are educated that believe this stuff Mm. but do they really you know you have to then wonder maybe in some level deep down they know that this stuff is bogus or that they have doubts about it but it is easier to feel heard and it is easier to find people that have a similar lot in life than you to find some common ground even if you're a little wary about that common ground at least it feels good right and we're a feel good quick hit society and that's easier for these people they want to be heard and accepted and feel like they're a part of a group and they are willing to pretend i think at some level that these things are really happening to be a part of the group. I think it's the same. It's almost like these horrible, violent versions of book clubs. They're reading these fictions and talking Mm. about it as if it's real or having real conversations about if these characters are really doing these things, except it's on the most grandiose scale you can imagine. It's facilitated by massive corporations, and then it gets politicized. But this is what it is. I mean, these are these people believing boogeyman book club stories, and then bringing it to the polls, essentially. Yeah, I, I think that I think that there is a there is a, a a bifurcation. I would say a lot of these people sincerely believe a lot do. That, a that, lot do. Uh, that, yeah. that these things are going on. But I think 
to the actual people that are in charge of the party. Do not. 75, 80% of them know. I mean, time and time again, you, you hear people who uh, are, are writers, reporters, uh, people in television and media in Washington who have actually had conversations with these people. Behind closed doors, and, right, yeah. And they know that, that they said their thing is, is completely bogus. All these theories are completely bogus. But people, because the, the, the largest segment of the uh, 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 Republican Party is now MAGA, um, they, 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 all they care about is just retaining their, their jobs, basically, and they're not going to come out and say anything that's uh, you know, courageous or, or honest or anything like that. I think that's I think that's 100 percent right. And then there's no incentive to doing that. Like you say, they're going to lose those votes. If that's what 75 percent of the base is believing or at least feigning to believe, then what's the incentive in espousing beliefs that are um, a little more congruent with reality, let's say? Right. Yeah. So 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 that that's how we opened up today. And then we also like to get into the, the whole issue of the Supreme Court. Uh uh, very recently, they had the arguments on the uh, viability of affirmative action. Uh, and, of course, th- th- there's the widespread suspicion, almost certainty, that much like uh, uh, the uh, case that they heard on abortion, <clears throat> that they're going, to refer- they're going to be basically repealing a lot of the affirmative action uh, 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 cases that have been uh, already decided and, and throw out those precedents. It's really interesting when you listen to the arguments and uh, read what the justices had to say, um, particularly Clarence Thomas, uh, who, uh, you know, uh, for many years when the Democrats uh, were in charge uh, of the court, uh, had very little or nothing to say, very rarely questioned any of the, the attorneys. Um uh, and now that uh, you know the Republicans are, are have the majority, uh, he, he comes out with stuff that's really it's very hard to understand. Uh, he was in in the argument he he said he didn't understand what the what the value of uh, of affirmative action was. He didn't understand how it would uh, uh, widen or, or or broaden or or, or uh, enhance the educational experience of. Uh, uh, of the students, and I mean, something quite, something quite, uh, a comment like that is so, so almost ludicrous, because th- the whole purpose of affirmative action is is more than just you know giving people who were uh, historically discriminated against a chance to you know pursue a career, pursue an education, but it also is 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 enormously helpful to society. Because you get to interact and engage people that you never would have before. You might have come from a from a background where uh, people of color, uh, uh, people who are of Latino ancestry, uh, people who have Asian ancestry, uh, you never really had met them or gotten to know them, maybe even in the high school that you went to. And uh, th- th- that discovery, basically, that um, you might have a tremendous amount uh, in common with these people. Yeah. You know, which I think is 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 one of the great things about education that you can bring people together from various ethnic groups or religions, you know, etc. And uh, you know, people can can consolidate around the, the things that they agree upon. 
I, I want to be careful here, but I do think affirmative action is somewhat of a political stoking point because the reality of this is, is university, the university system in our country has become a business. That's what it is. They want to admit any given student, regardless of race, regardless of gender, they're going to choose to admit that student, uh, usually based on, yes, it, and I think it's, now it's become almost financially lucrative for some of these universities to have diversity metrics of a certain stature, right? And that could be just as much as why they're admitting certain students beyond metrics, right, mm. or beyond affirmative action. I think the conversation um, needs to be focused on f- not, f- you know, forcing universities to meet X quota or having things, that, I-, I think it's, you know, why are we allowing a, a for-profit system to stratify in any sort of way at all? Let it be grades, let it be socioeconomic status, and think about who benefits from these conversations. You know what I mean? I think it's, um, the, the university system is just plain and simply broken from the from the ground up, and I think it's all about money. Um, if a black student was guaranteed to have an endowment that was X amount at the end of his tenure at that university, he would be admitted more so than a white student. If a white student would end up being a bigger endowment at the end of his four years than that white student. It's about money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's easy then to say, oh, this is racially imbalanced. Well, I, I don't think it, it is. I think they see a kid and they look at the economic value of mm-hmm. that kid and then whether or not they're admitted depends on if they see economic value in that kid more so than race. Um, and it's just a... It's it's a way to get people angry affirmative action is like a buzzword to make people angry about oh my white kids getting thrown out of school or or my black kids not getting into school it's just a way to stoke political anger when the real enemy is the fact that these university systems rule us view all of us as nothing more than a a check yeah i think i think the interesting thing too is though that before affirmative action before any of these programs the participation of uh, people of color in the universities was was minimal. Even today, even today with affirmative action, even today with diversity, it's very interesting to analyze the top 15 or 20 schools. Now, we here at UNLV, UNLV is a diverse, it's a diverse institution. We have uh, probably people from almost all the countries in the world, from every state, from every ethnicity, from every religion. And yet the, 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 the universities uh, that supposedly, the elite universities uh, in these surveys are way behind UNLV, despite having superior resources in every way. I can see, I can see uh, where people will, will, will see uh, affirmative action in a sense as a kind of quota system. But I can also see from my experience that without some kind of... Uh, uh, metric. M- metric, I-, I think you'd have very few, very few people of color in any of these universities. I mean, I remember when I was going to school, uh, which is a few years ago, I'm not going to say how many, it would make <laughs> me sound like a dinosaur, but... We had very few people of color at NYU, and NYU was considered a progressive top twenty right. school. So I don't know. I think I, I think you can look at it from 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 I think you can look at it from both sides. But but I don't think in our society where we have ingrained prejudices, very very few things are done volitionally. 
you have to sometimes light a fire or a match under right. people to, to get them to, to do anything. Yeah. Um, no, and, and I hear what you're saying that then sort of if we put quotas in place or if there are sort of metrics to go by in place that then um, you, you, there's accountability and then there has to be accountability mm-hmm. and there is something to be said for forcing accountability. But then I just wonder if the conversation is moot anyway. You force that on public universities. Well, then they'll all go private. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think eventually if we start pushing it all one way, they'll be pushed back the other way. If, you know, Harvard, Yale and it, all of them were held to a very strict quota, you know, of let's say 35 percent minority as well. Well, guess what? I think some private institutions mm. um, would start popping up that do not that are not going to be held to those same standards. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I just I, I just throw in a, a, a personal aside here. Uh, you know, in, in in getting to come to this institution and and you know teaching here and you know sort of um, imbibing the uh, the flavor of of, of the school. Uh, it, it always interested me in, in, in a lot of the places that I had gone to previously, uh, which I thought were progressive, and I thought they, these were places where they would, you know, jump at the chance to, you know, get into the history of, of our <laughs> lack of diversity, or and to put it in the nicest way right. you can. Um, very few, very few places were interested in doing it. Yeah. So I think there's a there's a there's a public. There's a public face that they have about what their intentions are, but there's also a private side to them that basically would would if they if they could get away with it and the money was the money kept coming in they would keep things as, right. keep things no, as as they were you know yeah yep, absolutely. So then we're going to talk a little bit uh, you know because America is is, is a capitalist country <laughs> um, uh, many times to excess. Is just the uh, the earnings reports of the oil companies, um, and I always, you know, I always have to laugh because uh, uh, Joe Biden, you know, the, is, is blamed for everything. I mean, I, you know, if if uh, if uh, an egg fell out of the sky and some, somebody hit hit somebody on the head, they blame Joe Biden for it. But the the numbers are really out of this world. Uh, Exxon had a twenty billion dollar profit in the quarter. Right. Uh, Joe Biden somehow handed Exxon $20 billion in profit. It was Joe Biden himself writing the check. Absolutely. And that's why your gas prices are so high. It's boogeyman stuff. But no, and here's, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I think there's a misconception about what these numbers, maybe not a misconception, maybe a lack, a complete lack of understanding about what these numbers really mean. You know, we've become so entranced in just the the net worth of certain individuals, Elon's net worth, Jeff Bezos's net worth and these numbers of 1 billion, 2 billion, 3, it ends up meaning nothing. Acquisition deals get reported in the news like nothing. Mm. Million, billion dollar mergers. Get, so these numbers end up, they, they don't mean anything. But $20 billion, in, that's, it, it is nearing incomprehensible. And I think when we just talk about these numbers like they mean nothing, they sometimes lose, um, Obviously, they lose their meaning. So I, I just to understand that that and that's just one. That's one oil. That's yeah. one. You yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, because um, it, uh, one of the movies that I uh, that I teach is is Roger and Me, having to do with Flint, Michigan, and the whole situation with the car companies going back into the you know the eighties, and um, there is no there is no corporate responsibility. Um, there might be people in a corporation who uh, believe in societal societal good, 
but the amount of them is is rather small. Uh, and you can see this across the board. In the movie, The Formula, uh, which had to do with the with the oil crisis, this is going back, you know, to the to, to the to the times when uh, Jimmy Carter was the president. Um, and and you know, of course, it's convenient to you know blame Saudi Arabia and everything. But there's one point in the movie where the where the guy says to the the guy who who runs the whole runs the whole show, he says, you know, he says. Uh, he says it's the Arabs. It's the Arabs. He says to the to Marlon Brando's character, and Marlon Brando says he says, "Listen, he says we're the Arabs." So it's always been it's always been that you know big business, big oil, um, you know it's all about profit. It's all about it's all about profit. It has nothing to do with uh, uh, politics. Poli- you know, it, has, it really has. It, it doesn't. I mean, it know. truly does not have anything to do with politics, other than we do not have enough regulations on corporate. You know, I would say corporate tax rates. I would say corporate misbehavior. Yeah. I would say monopolies. I would say yeah. anti. There's no law that really exists that is meaningful anywhere where this is concerned. It's not a political issue. It is a corporate capitalism greed issue, yeah. which is not inherently political. There is nothing any president could do about a twenty billion dollar profit. There's nothing. I mean, short of locking all of them up and saying, "I know you're a crook," <laughs> uh, you, you know, right? Yeah. But that's not reality. That's not the world we live in. I'm sorry. There is just this is not Joe Biden's fault. Call him a lot of things but he's not responsible for $20 billion in Exxon profits, that's yeah. for sure. In the same way, he wouldn't be responsible for Victoria's Secret profit or Ford profit. I, it's just because it's oil and because it's gas companies, that's what this turns into. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Silly. I think it's, I think it, one of the things, one of the things that you're seeing, though, is an enormous amount of corporate money and dark money going into, going into, uh, uh, the Republican uh, campaign funds. Yes, I think that I think that although he has not succeeded in a lot of what he wanted to do, this minimum corporate tax uh, is definitely on their kill list. The, uh, the, the, please, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, the Republican Party has always been has always been aligned with corporate interests. I always find it interesting how the Republican Party rarely has a platform on what they would actually do to make people's lives better. <laughs> and then one thinks of all the great social programs that that occurred in this country, from the New Deal to the Great Society, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, Obamacare. Social Security, Obamacare. Not one of those programs, not one of those programs was a Republican program. They're all Democratic uh, programs. And the thing that's... The thing that's mind-boggling to me is how they've sold white middle America on it. On the, yeah, on the idea that they're actually for the white middle class when they've done nothing for them, and they've painted they've painted the the uh, painted people of color as your enemy that they're taking away from you what you should have, but the one that's taking away from what you should have and what people of color should have are the people who are running these institutions, these corporations, aided aided by a Congress that is largely, not entirely, but largely owned lock, stock, and barrel, body, Making mind, and soul. Right of, yeah. 
by the lobbies of all these different industries, the drug industry. We, we could be here all I mean, day. It's, 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 it's fascinating because you have, we're talking about it right now, multi-billion dollar corporations and then they, all the wealth hoarding it for, for themselves. Yet you still have people right now to this day that believe that Reaganomics or trickle-down economics is a real, you know what I mean? And they still are holding on to that uh. 80s dream till this day. I know those people, right? Those people live in Wisconsin. Those yeah. people live in Florida. They're real. Uh, and it's like, they're showing you that this doesn't work. They're showing you they will hoard the wealth. They're showing you it's all for the 1% and those guys in the top of the room and it's not for you. You can look at this. This is public record. These, I mean, the SEC will show you what these guys are doing. It, they don't care. Oh, it's still they're fighting for us. It's yeah. still, I mean, this, come on. Yeah. Well, it, it, what's interesting, what's interesting too is that every time there's some kind of economic crisis, the answer is always... Cut corporate tax a, rates. Corporate, cut corporate tax rate. Cut tax rates for the rich. And we always hear the promises of corporate America. We're going to reinvest. We're going to uh. retool. We're going we're to do all these things, redevelop. You know, it, <laughs> you know, it never occurs. It never occurs. All they're concerned with is buying the stock back, boosting the stock price for the shareholders. It's done time and time and time again. When they had the tax cut, when they had the tax cut, during the Trump years, the, the 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 middle class, the middle class got crumbs, little pieces, of n- nothing, little pieces of nothing. You know, little pieces of nothing. There's a you know, there's a great movie called City Hall with Al Pacino, where he's campaigning on all these issues, but he's right. he's actually you know he's in in league with you know the people who run the whole thing. Yeah, and he has this. He always he has a term I guess it's a Yiddish term called menschkeit, and it has to do with you know dispersing, you know goodies to the to the average yeah. person, and the young man who works for him says he says you know he says, it's like that biblical thing where you know you you throw the seed on the ground, and maybe you get lucky, and some of the <laughs> seed germinates and you right. get a flower. He said, but it's completely by accident yep. because it's not intentionally that you're going to help anybody except the people who contribute to your campaign yeah right exactly absolutely um and and i think this all sort of ties ties in with the prices of food that we're seeing rise too. the same thing with oil prices and then you wonder i say this all the time on this program who benefits from this stuff well people are inflamed about the prices of food and inflamed about the prices of oil and they believe it's joe biden's fault so who are they going to go out and vote for the very same people that keep Mm -hmm. these tax rates low so they can continue to make this money it's insane and people can't see beyond that loop of power it's like yeah no wonder the prices are high you're so pissed about it you're not going to vote for the guys that want to keep it low and it sounds like i'm sort of trying to keep it very low and rudimentary and base level but that's what this is if you're inflamed enough to go think it's someone else's fault or blame the wrong person they're going there's no incentive for them to then lower prices or bring you back in as a consumer i mean why would they you're going to go out and vote it just well, it's I th- all connected. <laughs> I think too. I think though that the political system has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I think that you know that they uh, listening recently to Claire McCaskill, who was the former senator from Missouri, and she was talking about uh, the loyalty to the party uh, has become everything. That whereas you used to have people who uh, were party members, but they had independence, they would you know on certain issues that were very important to the diverge, country right. mm, they would diverge i'm reminded of uh, i'm reminded of senator mccain when they wanted to try to repeal obamacare 
And Senator McCain said, you know, that uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to go for this. I'm not going to do this. And it reminded me it reminded me of, 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 of President Kennedy, who had, who had gotten the uh, Pulitzer Prize for writing Profiles in Courage. And I guess one of the men, one of the reviewers was talking to him. And uh, he said, you know, uh, pr- uh, I don't think he wasn't president yet but when he wrote the book. Right. He said, uh, you know, this is a great book, he said, but it's not a long book. And President Kennedy said, he said, it's not a long book because the title of the book is Profiles in Courage, that there's not that much courage, courage among these people. I mean, a perfect example, you know, just getting back to what we started, the, the conversation between myself and Lana today, there's so many people in Washington who know what's right. Right. They know that there's there's so many things that need to be done that could be done, but they want to keep the power. It's how it's how so many people, you know, worked for the for the former president. They knew that things were going on that were not right. They did nothing. And now everybody's coming out with a book, but it's too late. It's too late when you're writing a book. The thing is to do something <laughs> the right thing when you're there. To do yeah. the right thing when you're there and and you know, to raise your voice and say, you know, this is wrong, and you know something should be done. About it. It's amazing. Like we have, we have. A, I guess it was a, Bill Barr has a book. The guy who was the head of the Southern District of New York, he has a book. Michael Cohen has a book. Everybody has a book. Everybody has a book. Reflecting but, upon their past choices. And yeah, what, yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 mind boggling. Wish this level of reflection and this level of um, editing, let's say, was done when they were. Uh, yeah. No, it, it's interesting. It, it's interesting, and and of course. I think that, you know, we, we were discussing this before the show. I think that the Republican Party has realized, for their purposes, that running people of conscience and running people who are bipartisan and running people who are willing to reach a consensus is not going to get them the voter that they need. They need a certain particular kind of voter. Inflammatory. Inflammatory, yeah, inflammatory. So they, they, they have the, the John McCain's, the Mitt Romney's. They don't want they don't work. So when we're going to run a national election, we need somebody who's going to be very, uh, uh, you know. Someone that will jazz up people that previously will say, well, that's a status quo kind of guy, right? Yeah. They won't, They don't want the status quo yeah. kind of guy. They want the guy that's going to rah, rah, you know, bring enticement, bring excitement, bring a reality TV level personality yeah. to the table. Because um, that's, that's what gets people yeah. up out of bed, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and with that, as the show ends, um, it's airing, uh, you know, this is Thursday. We are at the point, folks, where if you have not mailed in your mail-in ballot and that was the way you were planning on voting, it is probably too late. If you still have your mail-in ballot on hand this Thursday and did not place it, I would recommend you you go ahead and vote in person mm-hmm. at your local polling place to make sure your vote is counted. You do not want to leave this in the hands of the postal system to maybe deliver mm-hmm. your ballot on time. Uh, God forbid, make sure that your vote counts. Uh, mm-hmm. We're nothing if we don't encourage a civil yeah. civil action here. I, and- I I think that uh, I think that this is in my lifetime the single most important election that we have faced, and the ramifications of not voting and allowing things to continue on their course, I think would be disastrous for our country. And with that, we tell you to go ahead, go on and vote, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at Wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at nevada.unlv.edu or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's charles.stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N at unlv.edu. See you next time. time.